If you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to John chapter 15. John 15, and we'll be in John 15 verses 18 through chapter 16 verse 4. I would not be so foolish as to presume that no one else has preached this passage on Christmas Eve, but probably not many. (laughs) Um, But we have been in a series in the gospel according to John um, and just feel like it would be best for us to continue in that series. And I think that we will see uh, in this passage, even connections to the story of Christmas and the arrival of Christ into this world. Um, The story of Christmas, as told by the gospel writers, is mixed with both joy and sadness. It's mixed with light and darkness, even with life and death. I was reading an Advent greeting that our missionary Sean Martin sent out to partners like our church, and I thought that he captured well this dichotomy. This is what he wrote in the first part of that uh, Advent greeting. He said, as the year draws to a close, it feels entirely appropriate that we celebrate the birth of the one who ushered in a new kingdom, even as the kingdoms of this world continue to rage and totter. As we face refugee crises, economic slowdown, war, and spiritual darkness, it is a joy to remember that Jesus entered the dark, desolate womb of our broken world and brought life, light, hope, and salvation to all who believe. He was born in poverty, fled to Egypt as a refugee with his earthly family, ministered in the midst of Roman occupation, and faced the dark powers of this world and defeated them. He was made like one of us, faced what we face, and triumphed. He truly is a perfect high priest who can sympathize with us in every way, precisely because he became incarnate and lived among us. Well stated. Uh, Christmas is about Jesus's entrance into the world to save us, but he was entering a world in desperate need of saving. And even when he first arrived, he was not joyfully received by all. The rejection of Jesus by many is a theme that we've seen in John's gospel as we have studied it. A theme foreshadowed in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, describing the incarnation. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In this section of the Upper Room Discourse that we arrive at today, Jesus sends we who are his disciples into the world. And we find him warning us that the rejection he faced from the world is something that we too will face as his followers. Our Savior gives us a a sobering reality check as he sends us into the world to continue his mission started in the incarnation, this mission of spreading the good news. But it's a reality check that it's intended not to discourage us, but to strengthen us. God's word says to we who are followers of Christ, remember that the world will hate you. Remember that the world will hate you. Why should we remember that? so that you won't fall away. Remember that the world will hate you so that you won't fall away. It's good to have realistic expectations in life, isn't it? Before you order it, you should know that it's not going to look like the picture on the menu. It'll taste okay, but it's just not going to look that good. Um, We should be prepared that Christmas morning is not going to look like a Hallmark movie. It's, it's going to be fun, but it's not going to be perfect. 
And we should be ready for the rejection that the world will naturally respond to us with if we are followers of Jesus. We should be aware of that. We should be realistic. Because remembering that the world will hate us is a step towards staying faithful to Christ when that happens. Jesus, the one who was hated and rejected by his own people, lovingly says to us, remember, remember that the world will hate you so that you won't fall away. Let's read John 15, 18 through chapter 16, verse 4. Last week, you remember, we considered this call from Jesus to abide in him. Uh, one commentary helpfully sees the logic of these two passages when it says that uh, in verses 1 through 17, that abide passage, it helps us to understand our relationship to Jesus. And now this passage today, John 15, 18 to 16, 4, it helps us to understand our relationship to the world. And so keep that in mind as we read it. This is, describes the Christian's relationship to the world. John 15, beginning in verse 18, this is what God's word says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Remember that the world will hate you in order that, so that you won't fall away. As we think about a relationship to the world and as followers of Jesus, we should first ask this question, who is the world? We keep talking about the world. Who, well, who is the world? What is that even referring to? World is a, a word that we've seen a lot in John's gospel, including in the most famous verse of the book, John 3.16. But what does it mean? Uh, D.A. Carson, a commentator, defines the world as the created moral order in active rebellion against God. The created moral order in active rebellion against God. World, then, is not a neutral term. That, that refers to this physical place that we live in, or even just to humanity in some general sense. It's a word that assumes opposition. While God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, the world is fallen as of Genesis 3, and the fallenness of the world means that the world is acti actively working against the Creator, including you and I, apart from Christ. This reality, namely that the world naturally is in opposition to God and to his people, means that we should not be surprised when the world hates us. 
So often we seem to wonder why people seem to take issue with the followers of Jesus or with the truth that we proclaim. But we should probably be surprised instead if the world loves us. That's not a call to incite the world to anger on purpose, but simply the thought that if if the world loves us, it loves how we live, loves the things that we teach, then it should make us wonder if we're actually following in the ways of Christ, because Christ was hated and rejected by the world. If we're following him, then it would make sense that we too would be hated and rejected. This all then leads naturally to the question, why does the world hate us? So we've thought about who is the world. Let's talk about why does the world hate us? And by us, I mean those who are followers of Christ, children of the Father, indwelt by the Spirit, all through faith in the finished work of Christ. Because it's in, it is that relationship that we have with the triune God that causes the world to hate us. These verses reveal that it's our connection to the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit that causes a separation between us and the world. Maybe you would say I'm being a bit dramatic by using the word hate. Of course, Jesus is using the word hate, so I guess you'd be saying Jesus is also being a little bit dramatic. Um, And certainly, we should be aware of the different experiences of Christians in different times and different places. We should be careful not to call every slight against us persecution. Your cashier saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas is not persecution. Rejection of some aspect of our Christian subculture is not persecution. But there is a genuine repulsion and hatred that arises in the hearts of those who are not followers of of Christ towards Christians. And it shows up in small ways and in large ways. It shows up in silent mockery. It shows up in violent persecution. The world certainly does hate the follower of Christ. But again, it's our relationship with Jesus, with the Father, and with the Spirit that's at the core of why the world hates us. So first, in verses 18 through 20, we see that the world hates us because Jesus chose us out of the world. Why does the world hate us? Because Jesus has chosen us out of the world. In general, people persecute and hate those who don't belong. Think about that. Just bullying in general is for those that don't belong. It happens on the school playground. It happens in your workplace. If you don't fit in, there's some level of hatred or persecution. It happens in your neighborhood. It happens in ethnic groups and in nations. If you seem you're like you're from somewhere else or if you're just different from, any, from other people, people just don't like you sometimes. And so while we as Christians are in the world, Jesus has chosen us out of the world, which means we are still in this place, but we don't fully belong. We're a little different. Therefore, people hate us, Jesus says. In one sense, Jesus, in choosing us out of the world, has made us like himself. He came into the world from heaven heaven as a truly human, human being, but he was also God, and therefore he didn't belong amongst the sinful people of the world. So they hated him. And while we are born into this world, Jesus has called us out of the world. Therefore, the world is going to be skeptical of us. The world is going to hate us. But we're in good company, aren't we? The rejection of the world is one more way that we start to look like Christ because they rejected him as well. So how exactly are we in the world and not of it? Well, much of it seems to have to do with the way that we live our lives. 
We are those who follow the commands of Christ as we abide in him, and our lives of holiness and love end up bringing conviction to those around us. We might think about Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel who prayed three times a day, and because he prayed three times a day, his enemies hated him. They hated him for it, so much so that they plotted to kill him so that he would be thrown to the lions. His righteous life exposed their sinful life, and they hated him for it. We all know this feeling. We can witness the holiness of others, and we feel the way that it exposes our own sinfulness. Have you had this experience? It exposes my own sinfulness. But for the Christian, that conviction should lead us to repentance and, and to, to deeper faith, not hatred. It should cause us to desire to grow in holiness and to embrace the way that we are different from the world because we are supposed to be different. The New Testament even uses the word aliens to refer to us. Christians are aliens. Now, that's, of course, speaking about, uh, about not necessarily about people from another planet, but people from another nation. But the world often does look at us as Christians and feel like we are from another planet because we're trying to, to live out the teachings of Christ, our speech. The way that we talk is it's just really different. We don't say the same things that everyone else says. Um, the way that we spend our time, our sexual ethics, our integrity, and more, they all make us look very strange in this world because Jesus has, in fact, chosen us out of the world. So 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12 encourages us like this. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as aliens, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that, they, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, there, there's hope, actually, that our holiness will not bring just rejection, but could also bring, bring repentance and faith for those who hate us. It's here in our passage. Jesus points out that those who, who persecuted him will also persecute us, but there are also those who kept his word. And as we proclaim the word of the gospel, we are told they will also keep ours as well. We are in the world, but we are not of it so that others might see our good works and become those who seek to glorify our Father. So the world hates us. Why? Because Jesus chose us out of the world, but also because they don't know the Father. The world hates us because they don't know the Father. We see this in verses 21 to 25. It's clearly stated there in verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. This is also something we've seen throughout John's gospel, isn't it? N namely, that, that those who claim to know the Father but who reject Jesus don't truly know the Father. To say you know the Father but to reject Christ as the Messiah is to show that you don't really know the Father. To hate Jesus, he says, is to hate the Father, verse 23, which seems to be even a focal point of this section. There's an interesting argument then that Jesus makes in verses 22 and 24. And on the surface of it, it sounds like Jesus is saying that if he had not come, then people would not have been guilty of sin. Just look at it in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Hmm. Strange, right? Because if that's true, then it would have been better for those who rejected Jesus if Jesus had never come, because then they would never be guilty. 
If that were the case, then we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because Christmas brings guilt, not salvation. It would have been better if Jesus had not come. Well, Carson, again, is helpful. He says the meaning is more like this. By coming and speaking to them, Jesus incited the most central and controlling of sins. What is that? Rejection of God's gracious revelation, rebellion against God, decisive preference of darkness rather than light. Jesus comes as the perfect reflection of the character of the Father. Everything and everyone before him was a shadow, but he is the exact representation of God in human form. Therefore, to reject him is to bring the greatest guilt upon ourselves and reveal how deep our rebellion goes. Rejecting the shadows, that's one thing, but rejecting the incarnate Christ is something completely different. However, such a rejection is not a surprise. Verse 25 says that it was predicted the Messiah would be hated and he would be hated for no good reason. As Jesus said to the crowd when they wanted to stone him, for what good deed are you going to stone me? There was no good reason for them to want to kill him. The life and the testimony of Jesus should have earned him honor and acceptance. He came bringing truth and love and salvation. And yet he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. and We all naturally hide our faces from him. So if we come to see the glory of the Father in Christ, then our knowledge of the Father incites the world to hate us. Just as the crowds could not handle Jesus calling God his Father, so too they cannot handle we who know Christ and call him our Father. So they hate us. Thirdly, the world hates us because the Spirit bears witness against them. The Spirit bears witness against them, and that's in verses 26 and 27. Jesus again speaks of the promise of the Spirit. When Jesus ascends to the Father, they will together send the gift of the Spirit to indwell all believers, and the Spirit will continue to bear witness about Jesus to the world, bringing conviction of sin and clarity about the person of Christ. Verse 27 indicates that we too are part of the way that God brings conviction to the world. The Spirit works in the hearts of those who are apart from Christ, but we are, as followers of Jesus, we also bear witness about who he is. And together with the Spirit's help, we bring the gospel to bear on the hearts of those that are far from Christ. There are those who will receive that message, but for others, the conviction of the Spirit and of the Word we bring in the Spirit's power causes them to just hate us all the more. John's going to pick up more on the ministry of the Spirit in our passage that we'll look at next Sunday. But for now, just notice that, that we see that our relationship with God, with the triune God, is what causes the world to hate us. But we might, as we close, ask, why is Jesus telling us this? Why is he telling us that the world is going to hate us? And we've already answered this a little bit in some ways. Consider our big idea. Remember that the world will hate you. Why? So that you won't fall away. It's right there in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So Jesus has told us these things so that we will know what to expect and so that we won't fall away. Because what can we expect? Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 16 tell us they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you 
will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus mentions being ostracized from community, even communities of faith, and martyrdom. Christ himself was persecuted, and if they persecuted him in these same ways, then they will do the same to his followers. So throughout history, to this very day, our brothers and sisters in Christ have been persecuted for following Christ. They have been killed for claiming God is their father. They have been cast out because of the conviction that their lives of holiness bring. So we should expect similar rejection. And we should even prepare our hearts to face death itself for our allegiance to Jesus. Jesus doesn't hold this information back from us, does he? He's not, you know, some sort of salesman that doesn't want you to read the fine print. No, he puts it right up in front and says, he tells us that it's going, it will, that, that this persecution will come. And then what does he do? He himself walks into it. Remember, Jesus never points down the road and says, you go there. He always stands at the end and says, follow me. And Jesus was the one who was rejected by his community. Jesus was the one that was killed by those who had come to save. And he tells us to follow him in that path. And knowing this helps us to not fall away. But, but it's not simply knowing that the world will reject us that will keep us from falling away, but also knowing why they will reject us, which is what we've been talking about. They will reject us because of our relationship with Jesus and with the Father and with the Spirit. And it's that same relationship, in fact, that will keep us faithful. Knowing our relationship with God is what will keep us from falling away. What's going to keep us from falling away? Knowing the electing love of Jesus, knowing that he has called us out of the world to himself, that's going to cause us to stand firm. If we believe that, that he's chosen us out of the world to himself, it's going to cause us to stand firm. We know that we belong to Christ. Being assured of the care of the Father for us is going to bolster our faith in the day of trial. We will know when we are persecuted in many and various ways that we have a Father who loves and cares for us. Even when the struggles come, we will know that and it will bolster our faith. Being certain of the presence of the Spirit within us will not just help us to stand, but will give us boldness no matter what comes our way. In the face, when you look at the, the disciples as they first faced persecution, it wasn't just that they endured it. It's as if they triumphed over it. When you look at the, the, God, the book of Acts, they preached boldly. They stood strong even in the face of martyrdom. And so we hold to these same things in our own trials, and we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Some of them, even today, celebrating Christmas in secret, asking that, that God would help them in this moment to remember the electing love of Jesus, that, that Christ has chosen them, that they belong to him. Help, asking that God would help them to remember the care of their Father, that he's watching over them, and the powerful presence of the Spirit within them. Jesus has come to bring salvation, but his presence in the world also brings conviction and guilt. By God's grace, we who follow Jesus, we have, we have had our eyes open to see our guilt, and the Spirit has led us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ, who not only came into the world, but who died to save the world. And so therefore, we seek to shine as lights. What does light do? Light exposes darkness which can be painful, and it can often cause others to reject and to hate us. But this is the mission 
that our Savior has modeled for us and he has sent us to complete. And so as we rest in our relationship with him, we can let our lights shine in the world so they would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending Christ into this world to, to suffer, to be rejected, and even to be killed, but all for our sake, all to purchase our salvation and then to show us that we can walk in these ways and, and shine as, as the light of the gospel, even as he did. Lord, Christ came into this world. Help us not to sanitize that. Help us to remember um, that right along with the, the shepherds coming to worship him was Herod trying to kill him. Lord, that we should expect the same mixture of, of love and acceptance for Christ, but also deep rejection and hatred for him. And Lord, help us to to boldly hold on to the fact that you have chosen us, the fact that you care for us as a father, the fact that your spirit dwells within us and gives us power, that we would hold firm to those things no matter what trials or persecution we face for following after you. Lord, even as we light these candles, would you fill our hearts with the desire to shine as lights, to be the light of the world that you've called us to be in the way that we live, in the way that we speak. And we ask all this, in Christ's name, amen.